0: Hey guys, so this week on the podcast, I'm sitting down with Julia Walsh, who is a senior here at Dickinson with me and an IS major um, to talk about LVMH or Louis Vuitton Moat-Hennessy's recent acquisition of Tiffany & Co., the very famous jeweler. So we're going to dive into sort of LVMH as a whole, their rival um, company, Caring, which also owns another plethora of fashion houses, and then their influence on the industry as a whole. Um, We'll talk about the acquisition, some areas where they went wrong with the acquisition, as well as their recently appointed executive board and some errors they made in those decisions as well. Um, After that, Julia will jump off and then I'll speak a little bit more about LVMH's troubled past sort of being on the wrong side of history at points, in my opinion. But stay tuned if any of that sounds remotely interesting to you. To start, LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. So Louis Vuitton, um, a luxury fashion house, and then Moet is a champagne, and then Hennessy is a liquor. So they own those three, obviously, and then they own a lot on top of that. It was founded in 1987. Um, and their CEO is the richest man in Europe. Wow. So take that one in. Um, All of Europe. Oh, I know. Um, and then their net profit in 2020 was $54.5 billion. I cannot comprehend that number. actually was a 17% decrease from their 2019 net profit. So that was their COVID profit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the brands that LVMH owns um so they have like alcohol and clothing those are like their two main ones Mm -hmm. um alcohol wise they have Moet, veuve and dom perignon (laughs) and those are all sort of the top champagnes on the market so yeah that's like not messing around like dom perignon (laughs) yeah oh yeah um not cheap stuff so if you're buying any of like the nicest champagne on the market they probably own it which is funny i don't know is when did they like switch from just clothing to adding on like i think since they started because the mh and wmh is Moet hennessy oh okay so like was a merger with like Louis Vuitton, i guess yeah i think um so the founder whose last name is i th- I forgot what his first name is the last names are not he basically um started by buying i believe it was like a former um family's like a former family owned a bunch of like fashion houses mm-hmm. and he bought it for the sole purpose of Louis Vuitton and sold everything else. So everyone hated him because he had just like dismantled an oh. entire like familial thing after he bought it. So gotcha. he purchased that for Louis Vuitton and then the rest, like he just kept acquiring stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So editing Hannah, jumping in here to correct myself. Um, so what I was trying to get across um, and it I'm listening now. It made literally no sense. Um, so LVMH was founded by Bernard Arnault. Um, he's French. So excuse my pronunciation of a couple things coming up, but basically he had a, a degree in engineering. He took control of his father's construction firm. Um, and then he changed the name of that firm and shifted its focus to real estate at one point. Um, at that point, he had about $15 million to his name. So he's never really worked his way up there, he's sort of just always been at the top, Um, but he got a business partner whose last name is Bernheim. Um, They ended up, he, okay, so Bernheim essentially was also a managing partner of a bank in France and he raised another $80 million alongside Arnault's 15 million that he currently had. Um, At the time, this is about 1970s, I would say. They then purchased, excuse my pronunciation, Boussac Saint Ferret, um, which was a bankrupt textile company that owned um, like the fashion housing of like Christian Dior. So they owned a bunch of other ones, um, which is why I was saying, and Boussac was like a familial textile company that like unfortunately went bankrupt. Um, They owned a bunch of other houses, but the only one that uh, are not truly cared about was Dior. And then in 1987, Arnott was invited to invest in LVMH by the company's chairman. Um, And then he did a joint venture. um, And then over time, by the 90s, they had uh, acquired Givenchy, Kenzo, other leather goods companies, which I think was what Busak was originally known for. So Lowe, Céline, and Berluti. So that's sort of how it came about couldn't explain that very well for some reason but that's the family that he sort of took over for I think once he saw like there was like a luxury aspect to like the liquor industry yeah he got into it (laughs) because some like celebrities like link up too with these like huge alcohol brands too like yeah yeah well, we'll talk about it later, but um, LVMH just bought 50% of Jay-Z Champagne Company. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, or, like, there champagne you go. Brand. Yeah, <laughs> um, so they have alcohol and then also clothing. So the houses they own that are like really popular, they own a lot more, are Dior, Fendi, Givenchy, Kenzo, Louis Vuitton, and Loro Piana. So, wow. yeah. I see where that <laughs> 50 billion comes yeah, in. Yeah, so they're like main hitter is Louis Vuitton. That's like where they profit the most. Um, And some other things. So they're like really good at like adapting to the market. They actually introduced um, their first like new house since their founding, which was Fenty. Mm. Um, They had Fenty, I believe two or three years ago, they added it. So they're changing their ways instead of acquiring stuff. They're like adding like new stuff, whereas caring just kind of keeps the old stuff. Mm. So Caring founded in 1963. In 2020, they had a 15.5 billion dollar profit, um, which was 18 percent down from their 2019 net profit. Hmm. Um, so, just to conceptualize that, LVMH currently sits 43.6 billion dollars, like ahead of Caring. Okay, that's how big they are. Wow. <laughs> but like Caring still competes with them in like the clothing area. Okay. Um, so Caring's houses are Gucci, Balenciaga, Saint Lauren um or Saint Laurent uh <laughs> Bottega Veneta and Alexander McQueen those are like the big ones and then wow their um like main one is Gucci so Gucci and Louis Vuitton are like the two big ones and so these are they're kind of like the two rivals for the biggest like, yeah luxury brand. yeah and LVMH previously had like own parts of Gucci um and then they'll like constantly trade staff like mm-hmm. we'll talk we'll get into it later but um one of the people who got assigned to Tiffany's like exec board used to be like a cfo of gucci like they flip back okay. all the time they're like not that exclusive um but yeah so tiffany's was acquired by lvmh in january of 2021 for 15.8 billion dollars
1: <laughs> wow uh-huh.
0: mm-hmm. so um and they that's started u.s based yeah just, i changed it all to u.s dollars okay um tiffany yeah u.s um but this all, they're both, LVMH and Caring are both based in France, okay. so, um, and I know that the LVMH CEO has to run a lot of stuff by the French government before he makes deals. Interesting. And the French government will, like, tell him, like, to, well, actually, what happened is they started talking about the acquisition back in November of 2020 prior to covid Mm-hmm. and they actually like got into a bunch of legal like spats like lbmh and tiffany before they even like acquired them whoa um saying like tiffany's didn't handle the pandemic well which like decreased their value and then the french government told them not to buy tiffany's because it would look bad like on like the, the government <laughs> well, that stuff is so important like to yeah i could see why like there's laws in france like regarding a lot of luxury goods like there's a like a um like, a regulation at the level of the EU, like, for champagne, like, only certain things can be classified, so, like, they're really serious about their luxury goods, so I see why that was, like, kind of funneled oh. through the French government. It sounds, like, a bit absurd, but I feel like it's, like, pretty important to them, that type of thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Because the article I was reading, it was, like, obviously written by something, I think it was the New York Times, so it was written mm-hmm. by someone from the United States, and they were, like, the French government, and then it was, like, in parentheses, it was, like, yes, the French government. <laughs> I was, like, oh, okay, we're it's serious. <laughs> um, So... LVMH basically like Tiffany was like chilling the whole time. They're like, yeah, sure. You can acquire us. Um, and then LVMH was like kind of pulling out due to the pandemic. And then also like trying to like negotiate like a lower price saying that Tiffany's like didn't handle the pandemic well. And they aren't mm-hmm. worth the same as they were worth like in November. Um, and then once they were acquired, they um, they being the LVMH exec board started to rework Tiffany's exec board. Um, and they ended up picking... Three main people to lead Tiffany and Co. Um, so, Anthony Ledru, I think he was the one who previously worked for Gucci. Um, mm. And then he actually worked at Tiffany like back in 2012 and then left. So, he knows the stuff. Mm. Alexandra Alnalt, which is LV Mitch's CEO's son. So, nepotism. Okay. <laughs> um, and then Michael Burke. So, you can't probably tell from their names, but that's three white dudes. Yeah. Everything. Um, For a primarily female customer-based jewelry. Yeah. Store. And trading back and forth between like the top companies as well. With yeah. The same exact names yeah. and people. Yeah. Interesting. So it was, and this was at the peak. So they started all their negotiations and stuff. Like, pr- like basically COVID was like their entire thing. Mm. Um, and LVMH, I'm gonna talk about, um, does not have a great history with um, like diversity, handling like social justice issues, mm. things like that. So when they announced that they finally acquired them this like January and that the deal had been done and they announced the new exec board, everyone was like, oh, cool. You picked, and it wasn't just the three of them, it's there's shocking. like an exec board of eight people and they, it's all like white guys between the age of 30 and like 45. Wow. So they were like, okay, um, way to seize the opportunity yeah, here. Wow. It's very, um, I will say from like applying to jobs and stuff, it's like very like cyclical. Like if you're not in the cycle of people that they want, they don't add new people. Mm-hmm. Like they don't seek that out in any way. If food, you're not their son, <laughs> if, yeah, if you aren't, um, blood related to them, they don't want you. So they had a lot of opportunities to hire a female in POC and they also like blatantly ignore that too um so as far as their prior issues with disregarding any type of social justice or wrongdoings things like that so because they're like top tier and then they own these houses Mm -hmm. it's on them when those houses mess up to not only like educate those houses but they also have to typically issue a mass apology and Mm -hmm. like apologize on behalf of the house because they own them but they never do. Okay. So um, Virgil Abloh, who's the creative director for Louis Vuitton men's. And then he owns Off-White, which is like a streetwear brand of his own, but he kind of got famous through Kanye because him and Kanye grew up together. He was Kanye's intern. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's probably where he got his whole inspo. That's where I got everything from. (laughs) Money, fame, things like that. So he is um, like a black male. I want to say he's in his thirties. Um. And then like during BLM, he was just discrediting a lot of stuff and saying like, mm. he was saying it was like disgusting to watch like actions and like looting and a lot of stuff. And everyone was like, whoa, like, mm. um, like watch your tone. Like you're coming from a place of like extreme privilege. Um, yeah. And he had to like go back and like apologize about a bunch of stuff, but LVMH like never held him accountable. Mm. for that like it took him like a month like and it was because people were like selling his stuff it was kind of like Alexander Wang I mean people were just selling his stuff like because they were like this guy sucks oh I so see so it wasn't even LVMA holding him accountable like, he ended up apologizing like on his own later and I bet they are just feeling like they checked a box like oh we hired like a black, a black man black in creative this director. Yeah. yeah oh they think they're innovative when they hire a male creative director for like Louis Vuitton women's e- what? Yep. what is that about? no it's awesome yeah it's really great. <laughs> they say it's going against the grain. I was like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, they also acquired 50% of jay Z's champagne business. And they stated that that was in an effort to diversify their clientele. Hmm. So Jay-Z, like one of the most famous. <laughs> yeah. They also, um, do you oh. know Naomi Osaka? Yeah. The tennis player. Yeah. Um, They're like in the works of like having her become a rep. Okay, that'd be cool. Oh, I know. Oh, it'd be so sick. Um, <laughs> like they should do more things like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I should be on their creative directing <laughs> mm-hmm. board. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Um, and then they also—I didn't realize—I I didn't know this brand was even a thing, and it makes me so mad. In 2020, there was an EDUN lawsuit against LVMH, which EDUN—I don't know if it's E-D-U-N. I don't know what it is. It's a brand that was founded by Bono and his wife, like Bono of U2. Oh. And LBH yeah, owns heard. it. Oh. And they're they're both white. Yeah. They're both white. Um, and it was founded to, it's like traditional like African clothing and it was to promote trade in Africa by sourcing production throughout the continent. Strange like st- whole thing there. Way of phrasing that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically one of, their employees, who was a female um, person of color, was victim of countless racially charged comments by mm. her sales advisor in 2018, and she ended up suing,
1: mm. not
0: only like E Don or whatever the brand is, um, but LVMH like as an entire thing, right? Um, and then that's still like obviously getting sorted out because it just hit the media that she did that in 2020. So, oh, wow. yeah, they have a history of and I don't know if it's because they're founded in France but like there's also stuff there <laughs> um as far as that's concerned I don't know if it's because like they weren't founded in the United States they didn't think they had to like appease what was currently going on in the United States throughout the pandemic and like hiring an all-white exec board wasn't the move but there also isn't anyone there to like hold them accountable yeah and it's it's no secret it wasn't just in the U.S. like there were protests in no. France going on like yeah they- all they had to do is open Instagram like any of their interns could have seen yeah that and like if they're that large of a company like if you're gonna be like number one mega company like where's the oversight to like Mm -hmm. check in on your like major yeah I do know like so that's like the clothing industry Tiffany's technically like um jewelry and like watches and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. how like intense like the watch industry is oh really like luxury watches is crazy I didn't know that when I was (laughs) doing the research it was like anything I was just like putting in YouTube like LVMH and caring and it was like all these like watch reviews I was like "Mm, (gasps) it's not what I want but basically the watch industry is like even more whitewashed than you would think Mm -hmm. like they're being super progressive because there's like runway shows and like it's like very main stage but like Apparently the backend development of like the luxury watch industry is just hella white people. Whoa, that's something I never thought about. <laughs> Cause it's not like front running. Like you don't know who's working on watches. I couldn't tell you who designed anything. No. All I know is Swatch. Yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> the Apple Watch. It's an Apple Watch. Yeah. So apparently like the jewelry, it the jewelry industry, the clientele is like almost all female. The watch industry is all male, but they also skews like very white both back end and clientele like it's just a very like old money type mm-hmm. of like purchase yeah like an a big watch yeah, yeah like if sense. I say to you like I'm gonna go buy a luxury good you would imagine me going and getting clothing yeah whereas nice like I feel bag. like if my grandmom said I'm gonna go get something luxury I'd be like oh she's gonna go get like earrings yeah that's true I don't know why but yeah I bet it's like generational a bit yeah which to me makes me think it's on the way out but there's still people who are really into watch collecting. So it's now just me. Julia has jumped off. And I know originally I said I was going to discuss where LVMH um, continued to, part of my language, F up. Um, but actually, I was doing some additional research and I came across a podcast called The Glossy. Um, and they actually sat down with Karen Ragwin. Ragwin. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so sorry. Um, who's the current corporate responsibility like lead at LVMH. Um, so one caught my attention because it's a female. Um And I just wanted to know more about what she had to say about it because it was super recent um, that they recorded this. So she previously worked as a social worker before joining LVMH in 2007. I think having that background um, is really interesting, especially to lead corporate responsibility. Um, I feel like excited for her. Um, and she spoke a decent bit about, um, how in 2020, there was a they hit a tipping point for LVMH as far as transparency. Um, and that was also largely driven by the widespread social unrest um, following the killing of George Floyd. Um, she stated that there was an expectation among our employees and our customers for us to provide more direct communication about what we were doing. So we were louder about our diversity and inclusion actions, which I think is where hearing her say this now, where the Tiffany executive board is upsetting to a lot of people because um, it seems very fake. Um, that statement doesn't align with who they hired. Um, so that's one piece that stood out to me. Um, she also spoke a decent, a decent bit about um, building toward gender equality saying that LVMH was probably one of the first organizations to set a target for women in leadership positions. And when that started more than 10 years ago, we only had 23%. Now we're sitting at over 44%. So we've doubled that standard in 10 years. What I've learned from this journey is, first of all, the journey is not over. Second, it doesn't happen organically. And third, intersectionality is important because sexism, like racism, really focuses on structural change within the organization. Um, after taking HR with Professor Riccio, uh, I really, the the second part, definitely resonates with me that there needs to be a large change made within the organization. If you want to see things like sexism as well as racism, um, altered really, or eradicated. So that stood out to me. Um, she had a really great piece on mental health as well in the podcast stating that mental health is a starting point of everything, mental safety, emotional safety in the corporation that's a starting point to be engaged in your day-to-day job and to really be able to bring your full self to work. So acknowledging that great on behalf of all of her employees, especially given her position. um, She said over the pandemic, they provided a lot of support mental health wise. They did a pilot with mental health first aid, which is sort of a training that they opted to do during the pandemic. Um, They had sessions for HR as well, because HR has been on the front line for mental health. Um, So we love the recognition there. Um, and she said that's something she sees, um, remaining in place, even though it is unfortunate that it'll continue to be that way. Um, and after speaking with a trainer and a therapist, she said that it was estimated that 30% of the population within LVMH is going to experience some type of post-stress disorder due to the pandemic. So they're starting to brace for that and prepare to support their employees. So I think a lot of it was a little bit pandering and sometimes fake smile type stuff. But I mean, this came out in late January and I really, I mean, just based off the sound of her and what she said, I think, I think she's a really great fit. Um, I think she's rising to the challenge. She's been there for a decent amount of time, but I do think she has done a lot, I think Like most positions like this, sometimes her hands are tied. I think she means well, but with a company with a a profit like LVMH's, it might be hard to actually get some change done. So I see the good in her, but unfortunately, I don't know if this was a position created uh, to check the box or if it was a position created to alter the entire schedule. So... I have my fingers crossed. I have faith. I really do enjoy a lot of the houses that LVMH owns, but to say like, I'm frustrated after seeing who they hired for the exec board when they've been making these statements for the past year, um, very clearly a missed opportunity Um, could have been a slam dunk could have shocked everyone still had the same profit, if not more, and they opted to not do that. And I talked about it a bit with Julia. I don't know if it's because there's a lack of awareness of the entire climate within the United States on behalf of Mage, but they have an office in New York City. Like They know what's up. Someone could have let people know before altering an exec board. And I know they also laid off two people or removed two prior executive members from Tiffany, uh, one being a female, so. To hear that they removed the female and added another eight white dudes, just frustrating.